Hi there, this is Kevin Skinner, pastor at First Baptist Church in Stockdale, Texas, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. If you live in the Stockdale area, then I would invite you to join us every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. to worship with us in person. You can also check out our webpage at fbcstockdale.org. Here at First Baptist, we are a community church with a kingdom mission, and we invite you to join us on that mission. By now, most of you know that after leaving Stockdale as a child, that I grew up in Rockport. And, and while that is essentially true, that I grew up in Rockport, having graduated from Rockport Fulton High School, our house that I grew up in was actually just outside of Rockport, across the Copano Bay Bridge in that little area called Lamar. This is where Goose Island State Park is and where the big tree is. So really, I grew up down the street from the big tree. In fact, as I got older during the summers, I would ride my bike from from our house over to the big tree. So the big tree is the largest oak tree, or it's the second largest oak tree in the state of Texas. For years, it was the largest, but they found a bigger tree, all right? So it's the second largest oak tree in the state of Texas. It has a circumference of over 35 feet around. It's 44 feet tall, and it's estimated to be between one to 2,000 years old. But probably the most interesting piece of trivia, at least to me, is that during the Civil War, the Union Navy invaded this little area of Lamar, pretty much destroying everything. And the only things that remained were a few houses, a little Catholic chapel, and this big tree. And so, so this, this tree has, has survived a lot over the years. Uh, aside from just surviving this invasion, this big tree has survived numerous droughts, and it's estimated that it has survived between 40 to 50 hurricanes, one of those being Hurricane Harvey that just blew through back in 2017. And so regardless of what this tree has faced, it has continued to stand strong. So last week we launched into this new series titled Rooted, and and as we're going through this series, we're walking through the book of Colossians. And as we think about the life that we're living, while we certainly won't live on this earth for one to two thousand years, the reality is, like this big tree, there is much that we face in this life. We often face many battles and storm. Certainly there are good days that, that we have, many good days in this life, but, but we face the battles and storms of this life. Maybe you came here today already feeling weathered by some battles and some storms. I've heard some pastors say that you're, you, you're either coming out of a storm, you're going into a storm, or you are in a storm right now. Storms are just kind of a part of the life that we live. And so as we face these battles and as we face these storms, our hope and our desire is that when we come out on the other side, we'll come out not having been destroyed, but still standing strong. So how do we face these battles? How do we, how do we get through these storms without being completely destroyed? How do we come out on the other side still standing strong? And the answer for us is that we are to root our lives in Jesus. We are to root our lives in Jesus. And while this may sound like such a simple answer, this is the answer that we need. Because not only do we face the the battles and the storms of this life, 
but oftentimes we are being bombarded with the, the ideas, the thoughts, the beliefs of this world, and, and quite honestly, living in this world can seem complicating and confusing. So let me pause right here to remind you of our overarching truth that I introduced you to last week. The world complicates things for us. The enemy confuses things for us, but God's word makes things clear for us, and God's word points us to Jesus. The world complicates things for us. The enemy confuses things for us, but God's word makes things clear for us, and God's word points us to Jesus. We are to root our lives in Jesus. It's not complicated. It's really quite simple. And yet I believe this simple truth is something that we need to continually remind ourselves of so that we will grow in this truth so that our lives will be fully rooted in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone so that regardless of what we face, whether we're facing the battles or the storms of this life or whether we're facing the ideas, the ideologies, the, the beliefs that the, the world is pushing on us, that regardless of what we're, we're, we're facing, that, that we will be able to continue to stand strong. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 9 through 14 today. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Now, as you're turning there, let me just set this passage up for you. Uh, as I said last week, the book of Colossians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, likely while he was in prison, to the church or to the believers in Colossae. And if you remember from last week, we saw that Paul had heard about the faith of the Colossians because Epaphras had taken the gospel to Colossae. And so Paul hears about their faith. And as he hears about their faith, his heart and his prayers are filled with thankfulness. So in our passage today, Paul is going to expound some on his prayers for the believers in Colossae. And what we're going to see at the start of our passage, we're going to see Paul say, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. Now the we that Paul is referring to is he and Timothy. If you remember, Timothy is, is on this missionary journey with Paul. Uh, Timothy is someone that Paul is mentoring, discipling, raising up in the faith, but also raising up for the ministry. And so as Paul says that, that we, uh, since the day we began, uh, we haven't stopped praying for you. He's referring to, to he and Timothy saying that, that they began praying, but that they also had not stopped praying since the day they began. They continued praying since the day they began. Understand, there is value in continued prayer. There is value in continued prayer. First, there's value in continued prayer for, for us or for you as the one that is praying. And I believe that, that there's value in continued prayer for you that is, uh, as the one that's praying for a couple of reasons. First, there's value for you because it brings you into the presence of God. When you pray, it brings you into the presence of God. And I can't think of a better place for us to be in a world that's filled with battles, in a world that's filled with storms, in a world that's complicated and confusing. I can't think of a better place to be than in the presence of God himself. And prayer brings us into God's presence. 
But continued prayer is also valuable for you as the one praying because it helps you to take your focus off of yourself. It helps you to take your focus off of yourself. So Google reported that in 2021, among Android users, that an estimated 93 million selfies were taken last year. And among one of those age groups, it was reported that one out of every three photos that they take in a day is a selfie. One-third of their photos are focused on themselves. Continued prayer is valuable for you as the one praying because it helps you to take your focus off of yourself. So the first part of our mission statement here at First Baptist Church Stockdale is to love. And specifically, what scripture teaches us is that we are to love God and to love others. And I believe that continued prayer helps us to accomplish this mission because when we pray... Instead of having our focus on ourselves, instead of having our eyes on ourselves, our focus is first on the God that we are praying to, but it's also on the people or the ones that we are praying for. And so as we think about our mission to love God and to love others, prayer helps us to accomplish this mission. And so there's value in there's value in continued prayer for you as the one praying, but there's also value in continued prayer for those that you are praying for because when you pray for someone else, spiritually speaking, it is like you are bringing them into God's presence as well. You are taking them into God's presence. And so the, the thing that comes to my mind, the image that comes to my mind is, is the friends in Luke chapter 5, the friends that take their friend this group of people that take their friend uh, and lower him through the roof into Jesus's presence they physically do this right prayer is like this spiritual lowering through the roof we are taking someone before God saying please meet their needs please heal them please be with them and so prayer is valuable not just for us but prayer is also valuable for the one that we are praying for so let me just pause right here and ask, are you intentionally and continually praying? Are you intentionally and continually praying? Are you, are you praying so that you can get into God's presence, but are you also praying so that you can take others into God's presence? And if you would say that you're not, then let me encourage you today, begin praying. Begin that prayer life. And, and like Paul says, since the day they began, they haven't stopped praying. Once you begin praying, don't stop. Continue, uh, continue to intentionally and consistently pray because there is value in continued prayer. With that in mind, let's read our passage now. Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 14 it says, for this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. 
He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now as we look at this passage, there are a couple of things that we see that that Paul specifically prays here that, that will guide our main points today. But before we get to that, I want to highlight what Paul says in verses 13 and 14. Because as we think about rooting our lives in Christ, what Paul says in verses 13 and 14 is specifically about what the Father does for the believer through Jesus Christ. Paul says, he has rescued us. From the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now some translations say the power of darkness instead of the domain of darkness. But really the idea here in the context of our passage is a dwelling place. Because as humans, spiritually speaking, we are living in one of two places. We are either living in the kingdom of darkness or we are living in the kingdom of light. We're living in one of those, those two places, the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light or the kingdom of the son he loves, Christ's kingdom. And so the question for each one of us is what kingdom are you living in? What kingdom are you living in? And the reality is, is that deep within us, we want to live in the light. We want to walk in the light. In fact, back in the 17th and 18th centuries, Europe was uh, dominated by an intellectual and philosophical movement where, where the idea was this pursuit of reason, this pursuit of intellect, this pursuit of happiness. And that time period has become known as the age of enlightenment. There's this desire deep within us to, to walk and to live in the light. The, the problem is, is that that it's not the pursuit of any of those things that actually brings light into our lives. If we simply pursue those things, we continue to live in darkness. Scripture reveals to us that it's not the pursuit of happiness or the pursuit of intellect or the pursuit of reason that brings true light into our lives. Rather, it is only when we pursue Jesus Christ that we are able to live in the light Jesus is the one that brings true enlightenment to our lives. So what kingdom are you living in? And, and really, the only way that, that we can answer that question is by asking another one. Is Jesus your Lord? Is Jesus your Lord? Because it is only by Jesus and through Jesus that we are transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. In fact, that word transferred that we see there bears a, uh, a special weight of significance in the context of the culture that this was written. Because when a king or an empire would conquer another land, it was customary for all those that lived in the defeated land to be transferred into the land of the one who conquered it. It, it was customary for all all those that were in the defeated land to be wholly a part of the victor's kingdom. And so the image that we have here is that when Christ came into this world, when he went to the cross and died for our sins, and when he rose again victoriously, he defeated the darkness of both sin and death in our lives. And so as we submit and as we surrender our lives to him, 
we are fully transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into his kingdom. We, we are no longer residents of the kingdom of darkness, but now we are wholly a part of the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the son he loves, Christ's kingdom. So is Jesus your Lord because it is only by Jesus and through Jesus that we are transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And if you've given your life to Christ, then because you have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, then we have this reminder to no longer walk in darkness, to no longer live like we are residents in, in darkness, but to walk in and to live in the freedom of the light and the life that we have received in Jesus Christ. But if you're here and you would say, I've never given my life to Christ, then I would urge you, come out of the darkness, turn away from your sins, turn to Jesus Christ this very day that you might be transferred out of that kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Now, this is why this is important in the context of our, our series, Rooted, because if we are going to be rooted in Christ, then we must first live in his kingdom. If we're going to be rooted in Christ, then we must first, be, uh, we must first live in his kingdom. We cannot be rooted in Christ and continue living in darkness. And so if we're going to be rooted in Christ, we must first live in his kingdom. And so as we look at Paul's prayer now for the... Uh, for the Colossians, there are two specific things that I want to highlight that, that we need if we are going to be rooted in Christ. First, we need to know God's will. We need to know God's will. Let's look at the second part of verse 9 through verse 10 again. It says, We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. We need to know God's will. Now, as a pastor, I get asked all the time, how can I know God's will? And really, the answer is simple. Turn to God's word. Because God's word is filled with God's will for our lives. God's word is filled with God's will for our lives. In fact, God's word is extremely applicable to the things that we face each and every day. The problem is, is that we often neglect God's word and then we wonder, why don't I know God's will? Why don't I know God's will for my life? Because we haven't been turning to his word. So back when I was in the eighth grade, it was pep rally day at school. And at every pep rally, there was usually some type of activity or game that a few students would get called down to participate in in front of the entire school. So this particular day, my name got called. And so I went down there and I took my place along with the other students that were participating. And so we were each in sections. In front of each of us was a long strip of butcher paper. And on this butcher paper were eggs spaced out all over the butcher paper. And so as I'm standing there in front of the butcher paper, a teacher came over and put a blindfold over, uh, over my eyes and began spinning me around. While she was doing this, uh, someone on the microphone began giving instructions for this game that we were going to be playing. The instructions were simple. We were supposed to walk across this butcher paper blindfolded without stepping on any of the eggs. 
The problem is, is that I was so focused on the teacher blindfolding me and spinning me around that I didn't listen to any of the instructions. And so when they said go, I had to just guess at what I was supposed to be doing. And let me tell you, I did not guess correctly. <laughs> and so as every, all, all of the other students, they began walking across this butcher paper, not trying to step on any of the eggs, I got down on my hands and knees and began crawling on the butcher paper because I thought maybe I'm supposed to pick up the eggs and collect them. <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> and so... This actually was already supposed to be a funny joke on all the participants because while they were spinning us around, cheerleaders had come and collected all of the eggs off of the butcher paper. So even for the ones that were trying to walk on the butcher paper without stepping on the eggs, it was already funny. But I looked ridiculous <laughs> crawling around furiously trying to collect these eggs that were not there clearly not having listened to any of the instructions. And if you've ever wondered what it sounds like for an entire school to burst out into laughter in unison inside of a gym, let me tell you, it's loud. It's still ringing in my head today. <laughs> and so, so as I think about their laughter, I really can't blame them because I looked so foolish now, that story is funny to us this morning, but I have to wonder if we don't look like that to God sometimes. He's given us his word. He's revealed to us his will in his word. He's given us these instructions, and yet we don't go to his word. We don't open his word, and we just run around, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, scrambling around, furiously trying to figure out what we're supposed to do in this world world when we should have just turned to his word to begin with. God's word is filled with God's will for our lives and so we need to turn to God's will so that we will be able to turn to God's word so that we will be able to learn God's will. This is why here at First Baptist Church Stockdale we have what we call growth groups every Sunday morning at 9:45 a.m our small group Bible study time, a time for us to come together and to open God's word up together, to study God's word with one another so that we can learn God's will together. And as Becky already said, we launched those three new growth groups this morning. We still already had several growth groups that were going on, but we launched three new growth groups today because we value studying God's word so that we can know God's will. And I want you to know that your pastor is in one of those growth groups. This is not something that I'm just asking you to participate in, for you to be a part of one of these growth groups, and then I'm skipping out on it. No, I want to lead by example. And so, yes, I am asking you to be a part of a growth group so, so you can come together with us and study God's word with us, but I am also a part of one of these growth groups because I understand that there is value in studying God's word so that we can know God's will. And what does Paul tell us the result of knowing God's will is? Not crawling around furiously, not scrambling, not trying to figure it all out. The result is walking worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. 
This is why he's praying that the Colossian church would know God's will because when we know God's will and when we walk in obedience to God's will, we are able to walk in a way that is pleasing to the Lord in such a way that is worthy of the Lord. So we need to know God's will. Second and finally, we need to have his strength. What do verses 11 and 12 say again? It says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. We need to have his strength. So I've shared with you already this morning about the big tree. Let me now tell you about a plant called the Wellwisha mirabilis. This is the most resistant plant in the world, and you can find it in the country of Namibia. This plant, it can grow to about six and a half feet tall, 26 feet wide, and it can survive for five years without any rain, and it's estimated to live between 400 to 1,500 years. That's one strong plant, and because it is strong, it is able to endure. One of the things that we have to do the most in this life is endure. We have to endure pain. We have to endure suffering. We have to endure trials. We have to endure battles, storms, tribulations, persecutions. Sometimes we just have to endure the daily grind of this life. Amen? Right? Sometimes we just have to wake up and endure and so as we think about the endurance that we are called to, the image that scripture often uses for us is that of a runner running a race. So when I was in college, the college that I attended required for us to take PE every single semester. And the final exam for our PE class every semester was a three-mile run. Now my first semester freshman year, this was my first time running this great length, right? I was not a runner. I'm still not a runner, but I was not a runner at that time. And so as I'm running this three miles for the first time, the first semester, man, I am cramping up in my side right here. I'm out of breath. I feel like I'm going to die, right? Not only did I not think that I could endure, I really had no desire to endure. <laughs> I'm like, an F sounds pretty good right now. But then a boy by the name of Alan, who had already finished the race, he saw me struggling, and so he came up beside me and began running this race with me, just speaking encouragement to me, telling me that I could do it. And so I was able to finish this race. I was able to endure till the end. Now, I'm not saying that I had the best time. Let's be honest, I did not have the best time at all, but I was able to endure. So let me pause right here and say this. You don't have to endure on your own. You don't have to endure on your own. Many times as we're going through the pain, as we're going through the trials, the suffering, the, the battles, the storms, or even the daily grind of life, many times we think, man, I've just got to get through this on my own. I've just got to be strong enough on my own. But we don't have to endure on our own because the good news is is that Jesus Christ came into this world and as believers, we have him in our life. And here's the deal. He has already run the race. 
He has endured to the end, to the point of death on the cross, and he was victorious. And with Christ, he doesn't just come up alongside of us to encourage us. He gives his strength to us. Now, here's what often happens as humans, right? Even though as believers, we have this promise of Christ's strength in our lives, we still think, man, I just need to be stronger. We're facing something in our life. I just need to be stronger, and I will get through this. But we don't need to rely on our own strength. We need to rely on his strength. We don't need to resolve to be stronger in our own strength. We need to surrender to his strength. We don't need to resolve to be stronger in our own strength. We need to surrender to his strength. When you're facing a struggle, when you're facing a battle, when you're facing a trial, God is not calling you to just be stronger on your own. He is saying, rely on me, depend on me, because at the end of the day, he is stronger. His strength is better. So don't just try to resolve in your own strength. Surrender to his strength. Ask him, Lord, give me your strength as I go through this because his strength is better and we find that when we receive his strength in him we have the strength to endure and this is important because life in Christ doesn't mean a life without storms it doesn't mean a life without battles it doesn't mean a life without persecution but what it does mean is that we when we go through all of this we have his strength to endure through it all we don't need to resolve in our own strength. We simply need to surrender to his strength. So as we think about being rooted in Christ, we need to know God's will and we need to have his strength. But before you can know God's will and before you can have his strength, first you need to know Jesus as Lord. And so if you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never allowed Jesus to be the Lord of your life, then today I would invite you to respond. In just a moment, we're going to sing another song. And as we sing this song, this is going to be your opportunity to respond this morning. And if you would say, that's me, I've never given my life to Christ. I've never made Jesus the Lord of my life. Maybe you've attended this church, but you've never let Jesus become the Lord of your life. But today you would say, man, I don't want to live in the kingdom of darkness anymore. I want through Jesus to be transferred into the kingdom of light. Today you would say, I want to receive that forgiveness. I want to receive that salvation that only Jesus can give. As we sing this song, respond, come, step out of your seat. I'm going to be standing right down here. Join me down front. Let's talk. Let's pray. Today can be the greatest day of your life as you're transferred into the kingdom of the Son, the Father loves of Jesus Christ. Now maybe you're here and you would say, I've already given my life to Christ. I've been transferred into that kingdom of light through Christ, but you've never made your faith public through baptism. But today you're ready to make that commitment. We've got several baptisms coming up. Let's add you to the list. And so if you want to make your faith public through baptism, something that God calls all believers to do, then let me encourage you respond as well. We can talk, we can pray. Today we can make that commitment together. Now, maybe you're here and you would say, I've given my life to Christ and I've been visiting First Baptist Church Stockdale and, and I know that God's calling me to make this my church home, to, to join this church body in the mission that God has called us to. If that's you, if God's calling you to make First Baptist Stockdale your church home, then I would invite you to respond as well.
But whatever it is that God's calling you to do, I would encourage you respond obediently as we sing this final song. Would you stand with me right now and let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Thanks for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of every service, I offer an invitation to respond, and I'd like to invite you to respond today. If you'd like to make Jesus Christ your Lord, or if you'd like information about membership here at First Baptist Stockdale, then head on over to fbcstockdale.org respond. Your response will come directly to me, and I'll follow up with you this week. God bless you, and have a great week.